Happy Sunday, everybody, and welcome to the Cosmic Navigator show. I think we are at 34, and hopefully we'll reach 40 before we'll have a little break, a summer break for those of you in the north, a winter break for those of you who are in the south. So, first of all, let's start off with um, what's happening in the next week. Uh, we're having, I mean, let's say that it's always good to look at things day by day, but it's much more efficient and effective to look at things uh, from an angel uh, point of view, uh, from a bird's eye view. So one of the most important things that we have this week is definitely the continuation of the Pluto squaring Jupiter that we talked about last week, that started last week, and is going to last uh, this whole week as well. Jupiter squaring Pluto. Jupiter always does more or too much of, uh, and when he's in a good aspect, the good it's a good expansion. It's expansion that helps you grow. Uh, when it's in a negative aspect, like a square, or sometimes like an opposition, then the inflation could be inflated ego, bloated, um, inflated sense of self, or whatever planet is interacting with Jupiter, too much of that archetype. And we're talking about Pluto being the lord of death and transformation. It's definitely not the nicest thing to have Jupiter expand uh, that unnecessary death or unnecessary... Um, uh, journeys into the underworld because Pluto after all is the ruler of Scorpio and whenever a planet is squaring Pluto it's bringing out the negative aspect of Pluto possessiveness um, vindicativeness uh, you can say anything to do with paranoia uh, also things that have to do with power struggles manipulation emotional blackmail so if you're feeling now off if you're feeling more emotional if you're feeling down if you're feeling like you're even lower than the underworld, it's totally normal. It's just that Jupiter is like giving us a turbo, which could be a little bit heavy, into the shadow, into the um, darker aspects of Pluto. Now, at the same time, if you look at the chart that I'm looking at, you see that Jupiter and the North Node are one on top of each other. Now, this is another thing that's happening in May and beginning of June, which is something we talked about here before, another very powerful aspect. It's an aspect of Jupiter expanding the importance of the North Node. North Node represents the future, what we are supposed to learn, what we are supposed to connect to, new territories. It's like the exploration to the West, you know, here in America, the pioneering or the exploration of the West. If you think about Genghis Khan, uh, you know, conquering all the way down to uh, Europe, constantly going west, going west. Or if you think about the classic Chinese um, literature from the 16th century, the story of the journey of the monkey to the west, that idea of going into the future, into the unknown, is very much what's happening to us now with Jupiter on top of the North Node. The North Node represents, again, good karma, what you're supposed to learn. So if you're supposed to learn, let's imagine you're supposed to learn Painting. And you've been learning painting for a while, but, you know, the apple doesn't look like an apple. It looks like a pear. The pear doesn't look like a pear. It looks like a, a grape, you know. So you're still struggling when Jupiter touches your uh, north node. It's as if suddenly you get a breakthrough and suddenly the apple does look very green and very three-dimensional, uh, you know. And the grape is only a grape when you actually decided to draw a grape. There is some feeling that we're making a jump, a leap of faith forward with our understanding of what we are supposed to learn. And this happens every 12 years, and it changes signs, of course. 
But actually in 2000, I think it was the same thing. Jupiter was in Taurus, but we had it also in 2011, 12, more 2012, 1988. So basically every 12 years, but not always the North Node is in Taurus when Jupiter hits it because the cycle of the North Node is 19 years. The cycle of Jupiter is 12 years. So they're not always coming together in the same sign. Right now, every 12 years they come together, yes. But now they're coming together under the end of Taurus. End of Taurus because, remember, even though it's 2 degrees Taurus, the North Node is retrograding. So it's about to move in, Gen in July 13 into Aries, the next sign. So uh, Jupiter being on top of the North Node in 2 degrees Taurus. Let's see what 2 degrees Taurus is in the Sabian symbol. Steps up to a lawn blooming with clover. Well, um, is the lawn blooming with clover? That's not a good sign for the lawn, by the way. Uh, if you've been a gardener, uh, clover growing in the middle of the uh, grass just means that in the summer you're going to have terrible thorns sticking into your feet. Feet is Pisces. Pisces is mysticism, lack of boundaries, addictions. Oh my God, uh, the symbolism goes too much. So anyway... Uh, lawn blooming. Well, you shouldn't have lawns here in California. We're going to talk about California a little bit here. I mean, if lawns are wherever they grow naturally, that's great. But as you know, grass lawns are not that good for the environment. They drink a lot of water. They don't give back anything. And uh, for the animals, it's kind of like not necessary. It better have one bush uh, than a whole uh, acre of uh, grass. But anyway, uh, for uh, Jupiter sitting on top of the North Node is definitely what's guiding us this week. And usually it talks about finding like-minded people, connecting to people that can really help you. Uh, Jupiter on top of the North Node a lot of time does talk about that feeling of um, camaraderie with people, some help coming from um, uh, friendships, and also connecting to groups that can facilitate your growth. Ah, oh, wait, I'm um, not on camera at all. I forgot to turn on the camera. Oh, here I am. Sorry, some of you probably tried to say something and I um, um, didn't pay attention. So anyway, uh, we're talking about Jupiter on top of the North Node. That's going to be guiding us throughout this week. Um, and because it's happening in two degrees of Taurus, and two is also representing Taurus because Taurus is the second sign, we're talking about some connection with relationships, some work that needs to be done with uh, um, compromises, corporations, justice, fairness. That's representative of number two, and also two in Kabbalah is associated with wisdom. So the North Node on top of Jupiter, extremely important. But if you remember what I said, Pluto is squaring Jupiter, and that creates too much of Pluto energy on but if Jupiter is on top of the North Node and Jupiter is squaring Pluto, therefore, Pluto is also squaring the North Node. And that's the biggest thing we have this year. Yeah, this year, I don't know if this year, but let's say uh, this week or this month, definitely. It's something pretty powerful. Uh, this is very, very rare because what's happening is Pluto is now located right between the midpoint of the North and the South Node Again, the North Node represents what you're here to learn, what you're here uh, to master. That's your future. The South Node represents what you're leaving behind, what you've already known, what you've already worked on. So we are kind of having Pluto, the Lord of Death and Transformation, right at the cornerstone, you can say, or right at the border or like, let's say, in between the, the North and the South Node, the future and the 
past. So we literally have Pluto there standing, holding the, the past and holding the future, kind of creating a bridge between the past and the future. And considering the fact that Pluto is zero, zero degrees Aquarius, and Aquarius is the sign of the future, and the sign before that Capricorn is the sign of the past, and Pluto is going back and forth this year between Pluto, Capricorn and Aquarius. Right now it's in Aquarius. It's going to retrograde in June. It's going to move very soon into Capricorn. Then it's going to move back into Aquarius. Then it's going to move back in 2024 into Capricorn. Then it's going to move back into Aquarius in 2024, end of November. And that's going to be done with. And Pluto is going to be until 2044 in uh, Aquarius the sign of the future but in between pluto is going back and forth back and forth like a ping pong between past and future uh, conservative and liberal uh, anything to do with uh, dictatorship autocratic uh, attitude towards democracy back and forth so uh, it's kind of interesting though that in the elections in the united states in 2024 pluto is actually going to be in capricorn favoring capricorn which is much more about traditional energy by the end of november it's going to move into Aquarius, which favors a liberal in the future. So it's kind of um, interesting that's going on right now. And maybe what we're having now is a kind of a taste or a sample of what's going to happen more at the end of 2024. And that, again, is the idea of this quarrel or this, let's say, tug of war between the need for security, past, and the need for a stepping into freedom and into new things. That's the future Aquarius. So it's Capricorn Aquarius. But it's also the things that we have learned in the past, you know, related to Capricorn, traditional energy, and the thing we need to learn about the future, which is, of course, Aquarius. And again, this is definitely playing out with everything we talked about here uh, between the idea of AI, is it dangerous to humanity or is it a salvation? You know, the tree of knowledge, good and evil. This is happening throughout the world. You can see it in, in politics right now with the debt ceiling here in the United States uh, between the fights, uh, Republicans and Demo 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 the De and Democrats. You see it in uh, Israel very strongly between people who are ultra-religious and ultra-conservative versus the seculars. You see it happening today in the election in uh, uh, Turkey. You see it everywhere in the world, this power struggle that is happening between the past and the future. Are we ready for the future, even though it's really scary? Or do we want to hold on uh, to where it's safe in the past? Now, it's not only about politics. I always told you that the politics out of us is a very good description of what's going on inside of us. The same way that the position of the planets out there, they're so big and their orbits are so uh, huge and take so long, it's, it's a reflection of what's going on inside of us. It's like magnifying uh, situations that are happening inside of us. That's precisely what mythology does. Um, mythology, that's what astrology, that's also what politics does. It kind of inflate or brings bigger or kind of um, makes much uh, much more relevant and much more, let's say, visual whatever is happening inside of us that we cannot see. So we cannot, sometimes we feel it, but we don't have an explanation. And that's why it's good to look outside, not to get worried about the situation in the world and think, oh my God, if the situation of the world is so dire, uh, probably the situation inside of me is even worse. But to have some indication of, or some metaphors, you can say, of what's going inside your inner world. So there's definitely right now a conflict between the past and the future. To, con to continue doing the same thing again and again and again because it kind of worked, it led me to this place, or I'm not satisfied where I am now, even though I was led to this place, 
And now it's time for me to try a new path, a new direction, a new um, uh, attitude toward life. So that's definitely what is happening right this week. So you can look at politics and look at the uh, news and you'll find out what is that struggle, you can say, between those two forces, the past and the future, Aquarius and Capricorn. So the energies that are dealing with it specifically right now, the archetypes is Taurus, because remember we had the North Node in Taurus, Jupiter in Taurus, we have now Mercury in Taurus, we have Vesta in Taurus, we have Uranus in Taurus. So we have a lot of emphasis over Taurus, which is a fixed Earth sign. It wants to hold on to where we are. Um, then we have it opposite to the South Node, which is in Scorpio. It's a fixed water sign. And it is, of course, squaring Pluto, which is located in Aquarius, which is a fixed air sign. And right now we have Mars and Minerva and the black moon Lilith in Leo, which is a fixed fire sign. So what we have is literally a box. We have a cross that is going between all the fixed uh, signs, which in Kabbalah are called the chayot or the creatures, which are the four, you can say, legs of the throne of God, the support of the throne of God. So... It is very, very dramatic what is happening to us right now. And it definitely involves a Taurus, Scorpio, Aquarius and Leo. And even if you're not one of those signs, you have those signs ruling some of your houses or maybe it's your rising sign. Maybe it's your moon sign. Now, again, in June 3rd, the class that I'm doing, and I put it on the chat, uh, the class that I'm doing with Finhorn, it's going to be a webinar this Saturday uh, we're going to talk about how you can be an astrologer without being an astrologer. Basically, how you can use astrology, precisely these things we talk about, for example, the signs and how they relate to you and what kind of uh, little games and exercises you can have to connect intuition with astrology. So you can literally work with astrology on a day-to-day -day level without necessarily having to go into the neat and greet of where every planet is and what the aspects are and all of those more tedious aspects uh, of astrology. So if you're around, and of course there's going to be a recording i think i put a link there and on instagram you just have to go to my uh, bio under the appearances you'll see the link for that that's going to be this tuesday uh, june sorry this saturday june 3rd and if you are adventurous and you want to come really learn how to be an astrologer or at least start your way in finhorn in finhorn in um, scotland in july 21st to 24 i'm going to do that weekend uh, retreat there it's magical place i'm really excited to get there to Scotland, and we're going to do a pretty interesting workshop on how to read your chart. So if you are a little bit, you want a sample of it this Saturday, and if you want to get deeper into it, we're going to do it in person in Findhorn in July. So the idea behind what we need to learn and what we have learned, how much do we have to rely on what we've learned in the past in order to go forward? How much do we have to look at our North Node, uh, North Node, North Pole, da uh, Pole Star to kind of direct us towards the future? That's the North Node. And the idea is that that connection is very strong. You know how the North Star is supposed to tell us where we are. And again, the North Node tells us uh, where we need to go. While the South Node represents what we've already done, what already we have seen before. And maybe that's why in Native American tradition, when the hero goes to the North, it is about learning something new. Because the North, don't remember, forget, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, is where we don't have enough sun or where the sun doesn't reach as much. So that's why it's considered to be the, uh, the, the direction of mystery. We'll talk a little bit about another direction. That's why I was wearing the uh, California 
Californian um, flag today. We're going to talk about the West. And uh, I just found out that the classes that we're going to do in England uh, about sacred spaces, which I'm going to really talk about uh, the, sign, the, the directions and what the directions mean so you can uh, have the feng shui of your home better or that you can understand a little bit more how to navigate direction, find your own personal direction that is uh, sacred to you, and also learn how to create uh, your altars at home based on the direction and based on sacred spaces. So the North just now a little teaser, is definitely about the mysteries, about things you need to stir, still learn because they're in the dark, in a sense. They're not born yet. So whenever you have a house, a room, an office, you can put in the north corner things that represent what you want to learn, what you want to dive into. For example, you can book, put a book there in French because you're really focused on wanting to learn French in the next few years. You know, So that's a little trick that kind of works with direction and, let's say, directional magic. So the North Node representing what we need to learn. The South Node, the South represents what we've already mastered in the past. Nowadays, they are magnified by Jupiter, meaning that they're getting extra push. Happens every 12 years. And it is also being affected by Pluto, creating this tension between the past and the future. And maybe it's not a tension. Maybe what Pluto is doing there, and that's why it's kind of in the square, is kind of putting together the past and the future, bringing a lot of forward memories, uh, making us also recall a lot of things from the future. And because we are under the kingdom of Gemini, which is all about putting things together and connecting, it's very auspicious that this is happening this week. So again, today, May 28, for most of us is over, but the moon is in um, Virgo. It's all about work. It's all about service uh, and all about editing. Tomorrow, Monday, uh, the day of the moon, the moon is going to be sending a beautiful line into your, uh, to Uranus and, in, and to Pluto. So as you can see on my chart, there is a beautiful triangle, the mountain of God. We talked about it. It's always when there is a trine, it's easier to climb up. It's easier to ascend upward. Uh, so when you have that trine between Uranus, the planet of uh, innovation, revolution, and Vesta, the connection to the hearth, which is actually tradition. So it's also another thing, now that I think about it, uh, Uranus, again, is the future. Vesta is the goddess of the heart. It represents tradition. They're also in conjunction uh, this week, not only uh, you have Jupiter conjuncting the North Node, but Vesta, which is an asteroid, is connected to Uranus. The past and the future meet also there, not only because of Pluto holding hands with the past and the future. So definitely this week is reminding you, reminding you of things in the past that couldn't still return, reminding you of things in the future that yet to come. So pay attention to your dreams, your intuition. There is a lot of future in the present this week. And uh, the trine that is caused between or created Monday between the moon, Uranus and Pluto definitely give us a big boost of energy forward. Pluto and Uranus coming together means that there is a structure or there is some logic in a revolution that's happening right now. So there might be some events coming into a place in the next few days that might have a sudden twist, a sudden unpredictable um, outcome. So pay attention. It's almost like watching your favorite TV show and suddenly you're going to be shocked by what is really happening and who really did it. So that is uh, for Monday. 
And on Tuesday, the moon is shifting into Libra, the moon of peace. Remember, once a month, we have two days that uh, you can have a little bit more peace of mind, in a sense. Uh, the moon is going to be in Libra. It's an instinct about beauty, design, colors, art, a sense of justice. And when the moon and the sun are sending such beautiful energy to each other, uh, they create a trine, again, a good flow of energy. And that means that mommy and daddy are having a good time. They're out dating. And we as kids are kind of feeling like this oh, moment uh, when we see them hug and we see them so cuddly together. So when the moon and the sun are getting well aspected together on a trine, we always are happy. This is happening to us on Tuesday and Wednesday. These are the good days for collaboration, for cooperation. Anything to do with relationship, partnership, communication between partners, even if you have to sign documents that have to do with partnership, uh, that's also good. Again, because of the North Node and Jupiter conjunction, that's also going to help. And Jupiter from Tuesday, Wednesday is moving away from that not very comfortable square with Pluto um, because it's not applying, meaning applying it's not coming into that square, it's coming out of the square. It's almost like we had our argument and now I'm out of the door and I'm, and I'm banging the door and I'm closing the door pretty abruptly but still that's it I'm gone maybe the echo of my argument with you is still hovering there and some of the words I said may be reverberating in your brain but I'm out there so I can't say anything worse you know that's like what I've said is what I've said that's it that's what happened with Jupiter uh, being on top of uh, uh, that square now he's moving away from that square so he's still there he's echoing some of the the, the words there are still kind of lingering but uh, the source of these words are gone so that's going to be starting to get easier. Even though, as you can see, the Pluto uh, squaring the North Node, South Node, that's going to be with us uh, on and off for the next year, year and a half. So let's say until the end of 2024, uh, it's going to be there. Let's say, you know what, maybe I'm, um, it's going to move into Aries, uh, 30 degrees Aries. Yeah, it's going to be there for the next year, year and a half. We're going to have to wait with it uh, it's going to take some time for us to get over it. But let's say the peak of it is definitely happening the next month, month and a half. But it's going to be on and off for a while. But the next month, month and a half is definitely uh, that future past confusion in a sense. Um, also on that day, we have a Pluto sending some tough energy. Yeah, the Pluto opposite Venus. Remember we had Pluto opposite Mars. Uh, that Mars already passed away, so that's fine. And now Pluto is going to be opposite to Venus. Now, Mars and Venus almost are coming together before, before Venus is starting to go retrograde in Leo from July 22nd. So anything to do with this summer uh, for you in the North Hemisphere, winter in the Southern Hemisphere, just remember, and we talked about it many times here, July 22nd to September 5 is Venus retrograde, the worst time to sign any documents, to get married, to get engaged, to buy any big purchases. Just think about... Um, uh, what is going on with uh, uh, relationships. If you need to separate from somebody, don't do it when Venus retrograde because maybe by the end of Venus retrograde, September, circumstances will going to bring you together. It doesn't always have to be because you decided you need to be together. Sometimes it's a health issue. Sometimes it's a financial issue and suddenly we're stuck together again. So again, Venus retrogrades July 22nd to September 5. Be careful, especially July, uh, August 27th. 
August 23rd to September 5 because that's when Mercury retrograde and Venus is retrograde. So I know it's a little bit further down, but what I've seen in the news is that this summer worldwide, we're going to have the most amount of people traveling, including me, uh, the world. And because it's going to be Venus retrograde and Mercury retrograde, especially pay attention uh, August uh, 23rd. Yeah, I'm landing back here in LA August 22nd. I didn't plan it like that, but I guess uh, some subconscious part of me did. So that's for the summer. Uh, sorry, that's for the next few weeks to pay attention to. But on Tuesday, back to Tuesday, the moon is going to be in uh, Libra, like I told you, but Venus, the ruler of Libra, is in um, Cancer. They have what is called mutual reception. Venus, the ruler of Libra, is in Cancer. The moon, the ruler of Cancer, is in Libra. They kind of switch places. Whenever there is a switch places, for me, it's a cross. You know, they're crossing over. A cross is synchronicities. Cross represent a cross of matter, right? Above and below, masculine and feminine. So that X that people that don't know how to write sign their name in a sense. So the idea is that there's going to be a lot of movement between relationship and home and family. Um, wanting to feel safe and secure and yet wanting to explore new relationship, new partnerships. It could help also with any kind of arguments within family or around real estate. The only thing again is that Venus is applying. Remember, applying is getting, the, the thing is getting worse uh, between Pluto and Venus and that's going to get difficult and more difficult and more difficult as Venus goes forward. Pluto goes backward and they're going to meet in a square in a week or two weeks. And that's going to be tough on relationships, tough, tough on finance. Uh, there could be a lot of clashes also, people not hearing each other, a lot of manipulation. So we'll talk about it later. And I should send you an email tomorrow or today if I manage um, about the dates that are important in June, like I do once a, week, uh, once a year, once a month. So... On May 31st, which is uh, a Wednesday, we have the moon still in Libra. And the moon is going to be opposite to Jupiter squaring Pluto. So if you're thinking about, you know, the moon travels really fast. Every two and a half days, a different sign. So wherever she goes, she creates a little bit of marking of, okay, this is the time it's happening. What does it mean? If there's a big aspect happening like Pluto uh, squaring uh, uh, Jupiter or Pluto squaring the North Node and the South Node, okay, that's in general happening this week. But when is it really getting tougher or really pinpointing moments that it's more active is the moon because the moon travels really fast and she tends to point at things, you know, pointing in and out, in and out, kind of like faster. So she's pointing at this uh, opposition and square on Wednesday and Thursday. So Wednesday and Thursday this week, you should feel that Pluto square strongest. So pay attention. Wednesday, Thursday could be a little bit intense. You see the moon is getting very close to touching the North Node. So Wednesday, that's happening. Uh, in addition to that, it's going to be uh, opposing Chiron, which is the wounded healer. So old wounds, if, especially from your family is coming out. And because the moon and Venus are squaring, it is creating a lot of tension on Wednesday, especially on relationship, partnership, even finance. So it's a pretty intense, tough day. And then on a Thursday, which is June 1st, is when we have the precise moment when the North Node and the south node are going to be aligned with the moon. So 
Thursday is the time where that square is the strongest. And if you're looking at the chart that I'm seeing right now, you see these red square and red crosses all over the chart. They're very, very bold because they're made out of a lot of planets squaring at the same time. So we have Mars, the god of war, and action in Leo. So he's on steroid and he's squaring Jupiter, meaning overactive, over-energized, over-aggressive. It's also uh, shooting arrows at the north node and the south node, which we talked about, is activated by Pluto. Pluto is squaring also Jupiter, the north node, and the moon. And I mean, it's a whole square by square. It's square, square, square. It's like, I don't know what. It's it's a very intense time. So Thursday, June 1st, remember, it is not the easiest time. And on top of everything, Uranus, the future, unpredictable, uh, rebellious, is sitting on top of Vesta for the first time this year yeah it's this year and it's talking about revolutions of the traditional things so it talks about unpredictable things happening and there could be some uh, even news in relation to uh, technology or innovation or something really crazy unpredictable that's happening uh, and because Neptune, mercury is also catching up with uranus it's going to catch with it um next week it is the aspect of brilliance so it doesn't necessarily have to be something bad but we're talking about mercury touching uranus both of them very intelligent very crazy quirky unpredictable um, messenger of intelligence so it's like somebody suddenly everybody's way too high too high iq and you know iq without emotional support can be a little bit problematic there is no emotional support because of all of these squares and the moon which is emotional is fallen in scorpio so definitely pay attention thursday uh, there could be some backlash of uh, other things or other times that were going on and it's just like pretty intense especially with even um, uh, the black moon Lilith being involved with that square when she's squaring Mercury the communicator Uranus the unpredictable energy the moon which is feminine energy it's a mess so Wednesday and Thursday definitely a mess the only good thing about Thursday is that you have Saturn square um, sending a beautiful energy to the moon which is maybe what we need some stability some cooling of energy some like the uh, uh, the mature adult is going to be literally Saturn even though Saturn that day is squaring the, the sun. So he also has some issues. But still, that one and the beautiful trine between Neptune and um, Venus, which is great for dreams. You know, So what I would say is that uh, Thursday, June 1st is great for dreams. It's great for meditation. The rest uh, is not very recommended. And if we look at Friday, June 2nd, to see if things improve, well, the, the um, opposition between the moon and Vesta, the moon in Uranus, the moon in Mercury is stronger. Um, but uh, Pluto is sending, sorry, Pluto, yeah, no, actually Pluto is not doing anything good. You know, Friday is a little bit better, but there's echoes of that Thursday there. And the moon in Scorpio, remember, it's a fallen moon. But the good news is about thir uh, Friday that at least the moon and Venus are sending nice energy to each other. And that means a little bit more calmness. It's also creating a beautiful trine with Neptune. So Friday is blessed much more, especially if you can retreat from intelligence into emotions um, and feel much more or spend more time next to water or just allow yourself to be more open emotionally because there's the beautiful beautiful trine between Venus, her higher active octave Neptune, the mystic idealism. Venus is all about beauty, design, and the moon, which is our instinct. So there's kind of a cooling of the system on Friday. And on Saturday, we are having the full moon. Yes, uh, the full moon, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, June 3rd, June 4th. We're going to have the um, full moon in Sagittarius. 
and the energies are a little bit more calming down. But again, full moon always aggravates or agitates any kind of opposition. So remember that that's part of it as well. That's going to be Saturday. The moon is in Sagittarius, more about traveling, teaching, learning, truth, philosophy. Um, that's going to be leading us forward. And uh, besides that, that day, yeah, the opposition is starting to close on Pluto and Venus, but Pluto and Capri and Mars, which was going on in the last two weeks, three weeks, we talked about it quite a lot, the two rulers of Scorpio uh, exploding against each other. Now we have Pluto opposite to Venus. Again, a little bit more power struggles in relationships or manipulations or issues with investors, uh, inheritance, death, that kind of energy is, is about uh, because of the... Um, opposition. Uh, we'll talk about the full moon in a second. And then uh, the full moon is getting even stronger on Sunday, June 4. Uh, it's some kind of a completion, some kind of an end of a process. And the trine is formed, which is always good. You see the mountain of God there between the, uh, Minerva, uh, the Chiron, and the moon. Minerva and Chiron are asteroid. They're not as strong, but the, the fact that it's closing on the moon with a beautiful trine does talk a lot about healing, especially healing that done through action, not through talk, not through emotions, but do, through doing things. So let's see... Um, what this, um, the sound is okay. Um, oh, somebody said something. We don't have sound. Very low sound. My sound is okay. The sound is okay. Yeah, I think that what happened is that we didn't have the camera on. Um, let's see. So before we look at uh, questions, I wanted to show, to share with you some thoughts that I had about, uh, Direction, like I said, to explain some of the concept between behind sacred space, because the whole idea of sacred space is to transform. I mean, if you think about it, all places are sacred. Uh, if you remember when um, Moses confronted the, the burning bush, one of the things that the burning bush told him is to take off his shoes uh, or sandals, maybe whatever you wear in the desert. I don't know if sandals is the best thing to wear in Sinai with all the snakes and you know scorpions so maybe it was shoes maybe it's sandals but the idea is that the bush told moses to get his sandals off to to not wear anything on his feet feet is pisces of course because the place you are stepping on is holy and the idea is that every place is holy even this middle of nowhere desert next to a bush that pretends to to burn it is sacred, meaning that really you should take your shoes everywhere you go because every place is sacred. But in that context, every direction might have a different contribution to that sacredness. So that's what I'm going to do uh, about, yeah, here it is in July 15 from 10 to 12. And if you go to the link uh, that I put in the chat room or in the Instagram, you can join as a webinar that will talk about direction and try to find your own direction. Uh, yeah, for uh, the times that I'm going to be doing readings in person in Zurich is going to be July 4 to 11, in London, July 11 to 18, Edinburgh, July 18 to 21, Tel Aviv, August uh, 1st to 14, and Istanbul, June 19 to 30. If you're around, just uh, send me a message and we can set it up. So yeah, what we talked about is the most important thing this week. Next week is the North Node or the Lunar Node squaring Pluto. Uh, we said until the end of November, 
midpoint between past and future, intense transformation and evolution, a time of profound shifts, especially karmic. It's almost as if during this time you're suddenly going to get your uh, credit report. Uh, credit report not from the bank, but from uh, uh, the afterlife. How much you owe, uh, why did you owe those things? Maybe meeting people that you... you um, actually owe them karmically some units of light or you're going to meet people that you owe them some uh, units of light. So certain events are taking place around now that are supposed to help you burn karma or at least elevate your debt. So that's part of it. And dealing with deep-seated patterns or attachments that you want to break away from. What I wanted to talk about a little bit is California. Uh, you know, I love California. You know that um, I live here for, I think, 98, 97. So it's what, 50, uh, 25 years almost. I think I lived here more than I lived anywhere else uh, in my life continuously, even though I escape twice a year for uh, uh, to visit you guys all over Europe and um, some parts of Asia. But the idea is that there is something special about California that I always felt the first time I came here. I was on the way back to uh, Mexico because I lived in Mexico at that time. And I remember when I left L.A., not because I had such profound experience here. I think it was almost like some part of my soul. Uh, I remember crying when I left L.A. and I came here only for like five, six days to visit a friend of mine because I was still living in um, Guadalajara in Mexico. And I felt like even though I loved Guadalajara in Mexico, I felt living uh, Los Angeles or living California was tearing me for some place. And to back it up through synchronicities, my luggage remained in Los Angeles. They were never shipped uh, to Guadalajara. It was a big deal. I had to trace them and find them and force them uh, to come back with me. And six months six month later, I found myself uh, moving to California. So I guess my suitcase were just more intelligent than me. And when that happens to you in your life, when your car or your, your suitcase or objects are more intelligent than you, meaning that they know the future better than um, you, that might not be the best uh, sign. You know, so it's really important to um, pay attention. But anyway, I was thinking about how this... Um, idea of California uh, was formulated because it's not only I who felt that there is something really special here. Obviously, the tallest trees, the oldest trees, the biggest trees also thought that California would be a great place to grow. But the idea is that there is something here that already uh, triggered interest and curiosity to the Native Americans because the Native American period of, uh, of California was about 15,000 years ago until 1542 when the first European exploration started happening. Don't forget that 1510 is Cortez coming to uh, um, India, no, sorry, coming to uh, Mexico for the first time. 1492 is when Columbus left. So it took a, a while to get to the other side of America. And when they came here, they thought it was an island. Because if you look at Baja California, and Baja California basically means below California, where I live, which is California, is Alta California, you know, the above. Uh, and when they came here and they saw that uh, Baja California is kind of a peninsula, but they didn't think it's a peninsula. They just thought, thought it's a big, the tip of an island, like Manhattan, like the Long Island in uh, New York. And it just goes on and on and on. And California is named after California, which is a mythical island in the Greek mythology where the Amazons used to live. And they had weapons made of gold, which is kind of interesting that what made California what it is, is the gold rush after the Mexican-American Wars at 1849. 
uh, we had, um, uh, I think it was 1848, but the 49ers, they're called. 600,000 people uh, came to California from all over the world, actually. And it's kind of interesting because in the Bible, it says specifically that 600,000 men left uh, Egypt uh, to the promised land. So there's something about California being the promised land, you know. And also, when the Spaniards came here, uh, we're talking about the Spanish colonial period, 1769 to 1821. That's also when uh, uh, Los Angeles was uh, created. Uh, they built this Camino Real. You see this, uh, la this road that later on became the 101, uh, the, the one uh, that is constantly filled with all these missions and these places named after saints. So that's why we have San Francisco and San Rafael and San Jose, Santa Cruz and Santa and San Juan and San Luis de Obispo and San Miguel and San um, and Santa Barbara and uh, San Bueno and San Fernando Valley and San Gabriel and San Di San Luis and San Diego. All of these were supposed to tell you the the road, but the road of the saints. So everywhere you go in in California still today, you have in your head, remember the power of the name, the saint, the saint, the saint. And what I saying? saints are people that are supposed to bring us up uh, into um uh, into above, like bring us back to the heaven in a sense, through their sacrifice to uh, uh, wherever um, you need to do in order to reach that goal, your goal. So it's not only a Camino Real from San Diego, or it started in, uh, New, Mex in New Spain, which is Mexico, all the way up to San Francisco. It's not only a road, it's also a road that doesn't necessarily go uh, horizontally, it also goes vertically up to the divine, in a sense. So it made me think about the whole idea of California. What is California? And that came me to the, to the concept of the direction of West. The West direction, and again, in the um, um, class on, on sacred spaces, we'll talk about all the rest of the direction so they don't have to feel bad. It's not like West is the best direction. Not at all. It has a special purpose. And the, the West represents... Again, very much similar to the north, but different because the journey to the west is the journey after the sun, in a sense. In the east, the sun rises. So that's it. In the east, the sun is already there. The west represents how we can follow the sun. We're following the direction of the sun. We're, we're following the, the flow of the sun as it is seen from the earth. So what the west represents is a time of mystery. Why the west is the mystery? Because that's where the sun sets. And that's where we have the twilight. And that's why, for example, in the ancient Egyptian tradition, the west is the entrance to the underworld. Right where uh, everything goes down. So that's why the West has been associated with uh, going to fetch something. In a way, that's why, for example, in the classic Chinese uh, story of the monkey goes to the West, of course, from China, India is to the West, and the whole story is the monkey, the martial artist, the magician is is taking um, care of two monks that are supposed to get some information or some scrolls from the West, which has happened to be India. So even for China, the source of Buddhism, the source of uh, Zen uh, comes from the West. You know, uh, even for India, a lot of the knowledge of, Bud of um, their traditions, if you think about where the Aryan came and brought some of the Vedas, or if you think about astrology that came from Sumeria and Babylon, it came to the Indians from the West. So you think that think about how always that journey to the West is the continuous exploration. You know, it's like pushing into boundaries we've never been before, we've never seen before. 
And what happened with the pioneers that started traveling from the East Coast towards California to the Wild West, um, they found the Pacific Ocean. So basically what happened is that they, they journeyed to the West, like they told them, you know, from China to India, okay, from India to Sumeria, fine, from Sumeria to uh, ancient Greek, you know, from ancient Greek maybe to the British Empire, okay, from the British Empire, the American Empire started, uh, you know, World War One, let's say, or a little bit before that. And then the people from um, uh, that forged this empire in the east side of the uh, United States started traveling, especially in the middle of the 19th centuries, towards... Um, California supposedly following the physical gold, not realizing that they're actually following an emotional or spiritual gold. Gold is Leo, is creativity, entertainment, performance, the child, playing with things. That's what Leo is really about. That's where the weapons of the Amazons are made of gold. That's why California is called the state, the gold state. Nothing to do with the gold rush. It has to do with the idea behind being a Leo uh, state. And what happened is that when they hit the ocean, that's it. They couldn't go more to the west because more to the west from California is Hawaii. And Hawaii is not really the west. Hawaii is the furthest place from any other place on the planet. It has its own thing. It's kind of like its own um, category. And then you get to the Far East, which of course is the Far East only to people who don't live in the Far East because the people in China, it's not very far and it's not very East. It's right here. But the idea is that that's when we close the circle. Going west of the west, we get to the east. So what is that West and what is California that is all these people, these explorers, that they were basically blocked by the Pacific Ocean? There's no way to go. So you go like this, you hit uh, the Pacific Ocean, the only way to go is up. And that's precisely what's happening with California. That's why it became a spiritual center for Zen, for yoga, for Kabbalah, for any kind of spiritual tradition. Because right here, the energies go up because, again, the West has come to some kind of an end, energetically speaking. And that's why you have Silicon Valley trying to go upward by creating the metaverse or AI. That's why you have the film industry here trying to break the boundaries, sci-fi, um, imagination, the um, is, uh, going beyond the suspense of disbelief. That's why you have also... Uh, Timothy Leary and the LSD revolution happening here because people want to look deeper outside or inside themselves. And that's why we have such a spiritual uh, thing here because people are trying to look for going inward, another form of uh, introspection, like another journey of the West in a sense. So that again is why California is so futuristic. Think about the Bitnik revolution. Think about the power revolution. Uh, so that, I think, the idea that explains this Camino Real, not because it's having to pray to San Francisco and Santa Clara and all these people, but because at that time, that was a technology of reaching upward. And since then, we evolved into different um, things. So I just wanted you to have that as an, a, a, an idea of how directions work. And um, of course, the East has its story, the South has its story, the North has its story. And you can always use these stories even in your own home, in your own office or whatever it is that you need help with designing, even your logo. So thanks a lot for bearing with me as I... Um, share with you some of my thoughts and insight of the week. I hope you have an amazing um, connection between the East and the West, between uh, the North and the South, between the past and the future, and that you continue doing your good things. Hey, I see Stephen and Pat Patricia there. Hila, how are you? 
Colleen, thanks a lot for uh, being with us. I see some black boxes. I'm sure you're with your pajamas because you're going to sleep or in your pajama because you woke up uh, recently. So thanks a lot and have an amazing, easygoing, eh, it's not going to happen, week. But um, uh, I hope what we do here help you get some direction. Thanks a lot. I think I'll see you, some of you on June 3rd on Saturday on the astrology class. And if not, I'll see you next Sunday on the full moon.